Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry once again. I'm glad you have joined me today because we are going to look at another very important development in our world right now. The implications of a war with Russia are very serious and far-reaching. Without the Bible, there is no solution. We can see from prophecy where the world is headed. We can also see from prophecy what we must do to get ready for it. But before I begin, there are a few things that I would like to share with you. We still have copies of the booklet, The History of Tomorrow. Some things never change at very attractive prices. Please call our office at 540-672-3553 and inquire how you can get quantities of this good booklet on Daniel 2 that you can share with anyone you meet. It explains the prophecy in simple terms so that secular people can understand it. It's another opportunity to share your faith. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we realize that we are at the end of time. There is no question about it. Please come to us today and every day from now on until you come in the clouds of glory. Evil men and seducers wax worse and worse. That means things are going to get worse and worse and worse before they get better. And they will get better because you're going to interrupt the course of evil. Please send your Holy Spirit today to be with us as we study the collapse of civilization. Help us to see and understand with our hearts how we should live in this degenerate age. Teach us what we should do now and how to live for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24. We'll read a few verses of the chapter. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. What was Jesus talking about in this passage? He was talking about the collapse of civilization, the collapse of life as the Jews knew it. They thought that Jerusalem was impregnable and that God would not allow it to be destroyed. How wrong they were. If you destroy the core of society, the main symbols which hold a society together, such as the buildings of the temple in this case, if the enemy can get as close as the religious heart of the nation, the most sacred 
and protected sanctuary of the nation and destroy it. If the enemy can destroy the glue that holds the nation together psychologically, they will be able to bring destruction upon everything. The spiritual lesson is obvious, but often missed. When Jesus leaves, destruction follows. And when he finally leaves the temple in heaven, the destruction on earth and on its people will, be, will commence and be complete. Not one stone of modern society will be left upon another. Society will implode. Wikipedia defines the collapse of civilization this way. Societal collapse, also known as civilizational collapse, is the fall of a complex human society characterized by the loss of cultural identity and socioeconomic complexity, the downfall of government, and the rise of violence. Do our societies have these things? Do we have a loss of cultural identity? Is not the social and economic complexity of our civilizations under attack? Is there not a rise of violence everywhere, especially in the cities? These are all signs of a society that is collapsing. It's been happening for years, but few people were aware of it. It has been a long slide into chaos and collapse. These things will lead to the collapse of government, and we are seeing evidence of that around the edges already. But let's think about the spiritual essence of a society that is turning its back on God. The more people reject Christianity as having the keys to moral standards, the more society moves away from the very underpinnings that keep it strong and stable, the more likely and the more inevitable the collapse becomes. Satan absolutely hates free societies, so the destruction will be as if the free civilization never was. When the angels holding back the winds of strife will be told to let them loose, the world will see chaos and destruction that pen cannot describe. But while a collapse of civilization in society is quite complicated, it is simple actually to understand. We now stand on the verge of a devastating recession with record-setting inflation, which was supposed to be transitory, Add to that a supply chain crisis and record-setting gasoline and diesel prices, and you have a very painful situation. Not one stone will be left upon another, so to speak. And this is a worldwide phenomenon. And rest assured, it is engineered by the globalists, who don't think the individual citizens should have any individual liberty. The causes of collapsing civilization are many. They range from natural disasters, including climate change, to foreign invasions and mass migration, to famine, economic depression, and internal strife and civil war, 
They also include disease outbreaks, cognitive decline, and loss of creativity, along with other factors. Do we not have all of these presently creating a lot of turmoil and conflict in society? From the collapse of ancient Rome to the fall of the Mayan Empire, evidence from archaeologists suggests that five factors have almost invariably been involved in the collapse of civilizations. Uncontrollable population movements, new epidemic diseases, failing states lead to an increased warfare, collapse of trade routes leading to famine, and climate change. And today it is happening again. For example, the stock market is plunging right before our eyes with fortunes being lost by the middle class, which is the economic engine that drives a nation forward. Pension investments are getting wrecked. Inflation now costs American families over $5,200 more per year than two years ago. Americans also pay more than $2,000 per year in increased fuel prices alone. Other countries are similar or even worse. As a result of this economic stress and devastation, there will arise in its place huge inequalities and an establishment oligarchy or ruling class. Have you noticed all the homeless and drug addicts in even small cities and country towns? There are worse numbers of them in big cities. And they seem to be everywhere, begging at intersections or living in tents behind shopping centers or in parks or beside train tracks. Public places have become permanent homeless encampments. You see trash-filled tents in once tidy and neat public parks. Drug addicts smoke meth in public spaces without trying to hide it. This is not Calcutta. It is New York City, San Francisco, and Austin. Homelessness is a symptom of a collapsing society, especially if it's growing rapidly. It is a symptom of the growing disorder and chaos, the degradation of what holds us together as a civilization. Homelessness has dramatically increased in the last year or two. It is engineered, of course. Large cities have added a lot of money to the budget for homeless prevention schemes that actually increase homelessness because they are now funded. When a government funds something in order to take care of a problem, you get more of it, not less. It's simple. It's a principle of socialism. You get more of the same, because it now incentivizes it. So we have added many to the roles of the homeless and drug-dependent. When cities like Seattle fund luxury apartments dedicated for the homeless, it doesn't solve the problem of homelessness. It creates more homelessness. And by the way, this and similar actions are happening in many cities in Western countries. 
The welfare system, no matter what it's called, is part of the destabilization and dismantling of civilization. It is pitched as if it will help reduce poverty and hunger, but it actually increases poverty and hunger and actually leads to the collapse of civilization. It will not leave one stone upon another. The middle class is being stripped out of society by economic hardship, which has come upon us because of the political elites that are cooperating with the globalists and adding a significant amount of stress to the society we live in and to our civilization. They don't care what happens to the individual. They care about control. Listen to this from Ministry of Healing, page 142. We are living in the midst of an epidemic of crime, at which thoughtful, God-fearing men everywhere stand aghast. The corruption that prevails, it is beyond the power of human pen to describe. Every day brings fresh revelations of political strife, bribery, and fraud. Every day brings its heart-sickening record of violence and lawlessness of indifference to human suffering, of brutal, fiendish destruction of human life. Every day testifies to the increase of insanity, murder, and suicide. Who can doubt that satanic agencies are at work among men with increasing activity to distract and corrupt the mind and defile and destroy the body? The fall of Jerusalem is a warning of the conditions that will exist at the end of time. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 19:42 through 44. If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong to thy peace but now they are hid from thine eyes for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Our enemies have cast a trench about us. The globalists have engineered civilization the way it currently is and made it humanly impossible to escape. The only way of escape is by Jesus Christ. But most people are blind and cannot see that a terrible time is coming. There will be war, civil war. It's being stoked right now. There will be bloodshed and pain, much pain. Jesus added to these concepts by saying in Luke 21, verses 22 through 24, For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people." And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. 
and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Did you hear Jesus' words to those that are with child and those who have young children? We are almost at that time. It may be too late to have children in this world. If you are thinking of having children, think again carefully. Make sure that it is God's will. It's not wrong to have children, but it is dangerous in these last days. Not only are the times dangerous, but the wickedness of the world is overwhelming. And most children brought into the world today are merely fodder that the devil can use to his advantage. And parents will suffer very much. The globalists have systematically created a monetary system called, in general parlance, the fiat money system. But now that system is going to work against us to destroy us. Of course, they promise happiness, but nothing could be farther from the truth. We're going back to the dark ages. It will be just like the feudal system that made some people very rich, but most people very, very poor. If you think slavery was bad, you wait until the globalists have accomplished their goals. The globalists are working with the enemy of Christ. They oppose God's plan on every point. They cultivate war when God cultivates peace. They consolidated businesses into multinational corporations when God says they should not confederate. They encouraged governments to spend recklessly, particularly on welfare, when God says the church should help the indigent. They try to take away freedom when God's principles will produce liberty. They lie to the people and try to deceive them, but God's word brings them the truth. But if they reject the Bible, the only infallible source of truth, their destiny is chaos and destruction. There are many more fronts where globalists work against God. Their intentions are to bring down civilization, especially Western civilization, the very civilization that was designed to be free, especially featuring religious freedom, and the very system that was the cradle of the three angels' messages and the seventh-day Sabbath. Jesus said that their plan, which is Satan's plan, will bring sorrow and suffering. He predicted the collapse of civilization. He said in Matthew 24, 8, All these are the beginning of sorrows. So it goes even deeper. The globalist elites or the merchants of the earth, have engineered the worst food shortages in recent history. They have been hankering for a war with Russia and Ukraine for a long time. Russia and Ukraine are two of the world's major wheat producers. A war between the two nations has devastated the wheat production in Ukraine, while restrictions on Western nations buying Russian wheat have driven the price up to unbelievable levels. In addition, Russia is a major producer of fertilizer, which has now become limited and very expensive 
because of the sanctions placed on Russia and its fertilizer exports. We are going to see a lot more distress of nations when the wheat shortage eventually extends to the supermarket shelves. Violence is everywhere, but it will be worse violence when people are not able to buy food. Violence will be so bad that the police will not be able to contain it. Collapse ensues as government loses control of violence. We saw anarchists doing violence in the great cities with police just standing by and letting it happen. This was by choice. The police could have done something, but they chose not to. But in the coming maelstrom, they will not have a choice. It will be overwhelming. And the fact that anarchists can function in Western society is evidence of the crumbling nature of that civilization. Mass shootings are another sign of the collapse of Western civilization. Ten people were recently killed in Buffalo by a gunman who just opened fire in the marketplace. Who would have thought that the supermarket was unsafe that day? We've seen shootings in nightclubs, schools, and even churches. People are crazed with violence. They see it on TV, in the movies, and in the news. And certain people take action. The globalists are happy with violence. Like Satan, they are happy with anything that creates chaos and confusion. It helps them by giving them cover for policies that lead to the future collapse of civilization. When it collapses, they will create a new world order from the chaos, a world order that Klaus Schwab, the chairman of the World Economic Forum, describes, In 2030, you'll own nothing and be happy about it. And most of the human population will go along with their suggestions because they don't know what else to do. Violence and its cousin intimidation is now the active principle of protest on the left. But it will bleed over to the right side of politics when the right issues come along, or when people are frustrated enough, or when conservatives are in power. We saw plenty of violence during the pandemic from leftists and Marxists, agitators and advocates. They are funded by the globalists, like George Soros, to bring anarchy and chaos. We've also recently seen violence against pro-life advocates, officials, and even intimidation of Supreme Court justices. This, too is part of the plan to bring further chaos and corrupt the system. And it's being done openly. It's a wonder that more people can't put two and two together. By the way, intimidating justices is a federal crime. But it's more than that. Intimidation can create an ineffective and corrupt justice system. An ineffective justice system is again a hallmark of a collapsing civilization and the rise of anarchy. 
What does God say about this? Let's read it from the book Education, page 228. At the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law, not only divine but human. The centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enriching of the few at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot, and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution, all are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. The whole world is involved in this collapse of civilization, and it's because the Bible is being ignored and rejected as the basis upon which society is stabilized. Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 230. The Reformation had presented to the world an open Bible, unsealing the precepts of the law of God and urging its claims upon the consciences of the people. Infinite love had unfolded to men the statutes and principles of heaven. God had said, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Deuteronomy 4, 6 When France rejected the gift of heaven, she sowed the seeds of anarchy and ruin and the inevitable outworking of cause and effect resulted in the revolution and the reign of terror. It is coming, my friends. The new reign of terror is coming sooner than you think. We are on the brink of it right now. Lawmakers have incentivized crime. In California, for instance, lawmakers made it clear that they are were going to allow up to $950 in store theft to go unpunished. And the result was that mobs of people robbed many stores. Friends, we are witnessing the slow-motion disintegration of civilization as we know it. In its place is arising a radical socialist welfare state in which the majority of citizens will be poor and violent. Jesus made reference to the violence of Noah's day when he said in Matthew 24, 37-39, As the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The Bible describes what the days of Noah were like. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Genesis six eleven to thirteen says Moses tells us the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold it was corrupt, 
for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So it should not surprise us that there is a pandemic of sin today. Society is ruined when sin is glorified and wickedness abounds. Civilization collapsed in Noah's day, and the flood swept them all away. Talk about climate change. The Apostle Peter points out that in the end of time, God will destroy civilization again because of sin. Here it is from Second Peter 5, 3 through 7. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Most of the world has gone after falsehoods and lies. Therefore wickedness abounds everywhere. The righteous are increasingly isolated and pressured. Isaiah 28.15 tells us, Because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death and with hell, are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. The world has indeed made a covenant with death, and have hid themselves in a refuge of lies, hoping to be secure and safe. Their destruction will come upon them by total surprise, overwhelming surprise. The Bible predicts it in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as to bail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Because the refuge of lies is the predominant narrative, you can't believe anything you hear anymore, hardly. But one thing is for certain. The enemy is making the world ready for destruction, and he is making the world ready to make it very difficult on the people of God. The second coming of Christ is near, even at the doors. Corruption and crime are on every hand. Violence and abuse have increased to unprecedented levels. The nations are distressed with war. Humanity is on the verge of the crisis of the ages. We are very close to the scenes predicted with the fall of Jerusalem when their society collapsed. Listen to this description of the fall of Jerusalem from the book Great Controversy, page 28 and 29. The long-suffering of God toward Jerusalem only confirmed the Jews in their stubborn independence. In their hatred and cruelty toward the disciples of Jesus, they rejected the last offer of mercy. 
when God withdrew his protection from them and removed his restraining power from Satan and his angels, and the nation was left to the control of the leader she had chosen, her children had spurned the grace of Christ, which would have enabled them to subdue their evil impulses. And now these became the conquerors. Satan aroused the fiercest and most debased passions of the soul. Men did not reason. They were beyond reason, controlled by impulse and blind rage. They became satanic in their cruelty. In the family and in the nation, among the highest and lowest classes alike, there was suspicion, envy, hatred, strife, rebellion, and murder. There was no safety anywhere. Friends and kindred betrayed one another. Parents slew their children and children their parents. The rulers of the people had no power to rule themselves. Uncontrolled passions made them tyrants. The Jews had accepted false testimony to condemn the innocent Son of God. Now false accusations made their own lives uncertain. By their actions, they had long been saying, Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from us. Isaiah thirty eleven. Now their desire was granted. The fear of God no longer disturbed them. Satan was at the head of the nation, and the highest civil and religious authorities were under his sway. Could that be the way it is today? I'll read on. The leaders of the opposing factions at times united to plunder and torture their wretched victims, and again they fell upon each other's forces and slaughtered without mercy. Even the sanctity of the temple could not restrain their horrible ferocity. The worshippers were stricken down before the altar, and the sanctuary was polluted with the bodies of the slain. Yet in their blind and blasphemous presumption, the instigators of this hellish work publicly declared that they had no fear that Jerusalem would be destroyed, for it was God's own city. To establish their power more firmly, they bribed false prophets to proclaim, even while Roman legions were besieging the temple, that the people were to wait for the deliverance of, from God. To the last, multitudes held fast to the belief that the Most High would interpose for the defeat of their adversaries. But Israel has spurned the divine prote protection, and now she had no defense. Unhappy Jerusalem, rent by internal dissensions, the blood of her children slain by one another's hands, crimsoning her streets, while alien armies beat down her fortifications and slew her men of war. Most people don't want to think about the collapse of society and civilization. But we have to think about it, even though it's hard to imagine. Jesus foretold the collapse and destruction of their civilization, but his disciples could hardly believe him. But he also applied it to our day. When the destruction came upon the Jews by surprise, not one Christian was caught in the maelstrom. 
The Christians followed Christ's counsel, and they were saved. We have to plan and be willing to follow God's counsel at every level if we want to be protected in that day. The tragedy is that most of God's people aren't willing to follow his counsel. Again, listen to Great Controversy, page 31. Terrible were the calamities that fell upon Jerusalem when the siege was resumed by Titus. The city was invested at the time of Passover, when millions of Jews were assembled within its walls. Their stores of provision, which if carefully preserved would have supplied the inhabitants for years, had previously been destroyed through the jealousy and revenge of the contending factions. And now all the horrors of starvation were experienced. A measure of wheat was sold for a talent. So fierce were the pangs of hunger that that men would gnaw the leather of their belts and sandals and the covering of their shields. Great numbers of the people would steal out at night to gather the wild plants growing outside the city walls, though many were seized and put to death with cruel torture, and often those who returned in safety were robbed of what they had gleaned at so great a peril. The most inhuman tortures were inflicted by those in power to force from the once-stricken people the last scanty supplies which they might have concealed. And these cruelties were not infrequently practiced by men who were themselves well-fed and who were merely desirous of laying up store of provision for the future. Did you hear that about wheat? That will happen again in our time. In fact, it's starting to happen now. Greed, avarice, and covetousness drive the world leaders in fulfilling the worst crimes under the cover of darkness. If somehow it gets out, the media act as a useful tool to cover it up. These things will lead to the destruction of civilization, too. The warning found in Great Controversy, page 37, is about to be fulfilled. Let men beware, lest they neglect the lesson conveyed to them in the words of Christ, as he warned his disciples of Jerusalem's destruction, giving them a sign of the approaching ruin, that they might make their escape, so he has warned the world of today of the final destruction and has given them tokens of its approach, that all who will may flee from the wrath to come. Jesus declares, There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. Those who behold these harbingers of his coming are to know that it is near even at the doors. Watch ye therefore, are his words of admonition. They that heed the warning shall not be left in darkness, and that, that they should overtake them unawares. But to them that will not watch, the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Do you think the world is going to appreciate truth and righteousness in the last days, 
any more than when Christ was on earth? They have turned their backs on the Bible and on the truth as it is in Jesus. They have forsaken the foundations that build a just and righteous society, and now their civilization is on the brink of collapse, and they don't even recognize it. They don't see what is coming, and it will be an overwhelming surprise to them. But it doesn't have to be a surprise to you. Again, from the Great Controversy, page 38. The world is no more ready to credit the message for this time than were the Jews to receive the Savior's warning concerning Jerusalem. Come when it may, the day of God will come unawares to the ungodly. When life is going on in its unvarying round, when men are absorbed in pleasure, in business, in traffic, in money-making, when religious leaders are magnifying the world's progress and enlightenment, and the people are lulled in a false security, then, as the midnight thief steals within the unguarded dwelling, so shall sudden destruction come upon the careless and the ungodly, and they shall not escape. As the collapse accelerates, things will get really intense. Under those circumstances, along with natural disasters, people will naturally turn to the reasons for the crisis and try to cast blame. They will seek to purge society of that which they think brings calamities upon them. It will be perceived that the iniquity and corresponding collapse of civilization is the result of the nation turning its back on God. In fact, this will be proclaimed in many parts of the world. The solution will be seen as an effort to get the nations to turn back to God and become religious. A seemingly good thing. The infrastructure will already be set up, and an international momentum will push the nations, led by the United States, to establish Sunday worship laws. This will lead to a global Sunday law or universal Sunday law. To justify the Sunday laws, governments and people will denounce those who keep the Bible Sabbath. Did you notice how the vaccines were railroaded on the public? I think that they will do the same kind of thing for the Sunday law. Listen to this statement from Great Controversy, page 592. Those who honor the Bible Sabbath will be denounced as enemies of law and order, as breaking down the moral restraints of society, causing anarchy and corruption, and calling down the judgments of God upon the earth. Their conscientious scruples will be pronounced obstinacy, stubbornness, and contempt of authority. They will be accused of disaffection toward the government. Ministers who deny the obligation of the divine law will present from the pulpit the duty of yielding obedience to civil authorities as ordained of God. In legislative halls and courts of justice, commandment keepers will be misrepresented and condemned. A false coloring will be given to their words. The worst construction will be put upon their motives. 
the Pope has identified all the way back in 2016 those who are rigid and sick. He said, those who unbendingly follow the law of God are sick and in need of the Lord's help. The Pope is doing his work of diminishing and making void the law of God. He has been doing this since the 3rd century. And because of what he says, people feel at liberty to do whatever they want to do and not have to obey God's law. He is setting himself up to denounce those who advocate keeping God's law, especially the fourth commandment, requiring Sabbath observance on the seventh day. He is taking aim at God's people, who will proclaim the Sabbath more fully. He was saying that they are rigid and sick and in need of the Lord's help. Well, they need the Lord's help, but not the way he means. The Ten Commandments are the law of God, and they do not change because God does not change. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That is an emphatic statement. God means what he says. Here's another statement from the Bible found in Hebrews 13, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. The remnant church in these last days is tasked with the proclamation of the law of God, and they will advocate strictly following it. They will have the Pope and his statement to fight against, and it will have consequences. Listen to this from Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 289. When we reach the standard that the Lord would have us reach, whirlings will regard Seventh-day Adventists as odd, singular, straight-laced extremists. We are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Notice the word extremists. That's used a lot today. People are getting ready to condemn God's people, not realizing it. Following God's counsel will not be popular. You will be considered odd and strange, and, and that's because of the way the world looks at it. A worldling cannot understand spiritual things. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned, but the worldwide coalition against the truth will be brought to bear on God's people. Again, from Great Controversy, page 592. The dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying the love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. In the soon coming conflict, we shall see exemplified the prophet's words, 
the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation twelve seventeen. Globalist Klaus Schwab is re- already laying the groundwork. In a piece published by the World Economic Forum, they suggest 10 ways to cut our energy use during the energy crisis. By the way, the energy crisis is not going away. Among the various points made, point number three is to have car-free Sundays. Here's what it says. Number three, car-free Sundays in cities. Car-free Sundays were introduced in countries such as Switzerland, the Netherlands, and West Germany during the 1973 oil crisis. Cities in other countries have used them more recently to promote public health. Klaus Schwab will not fight against Rome and the Catholic Church. He will support them with mechanisms implemented on a global scale that will tie the hands of God's people from doing what they should be doing. It will not be long, dear friends, before these things are upon us. We need to make our lives right with God, be loyal to Him outwardly and privately. I hope you are seeking to follow God's counsel in every way so that you can be under the protection of the Almighty. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, How grateful we are for the Bible, the Word of God. We pray that we can make it the man of our counsel. We want to live by it so we can be under your management and protection. It seems that civilization is collapsing. A new civilization will arise. We pray that you will help us to be faithful to you in spite of all the pressures that will come upon us. We ask that you will be with us in all our affairs, and especially as we come down to the end of time. Please send your Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us what we must do. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is I Am Determined, sung by Jennifer Buttery. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Seekers of Your Heart. If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid and we will gladly send you one. International listeners should send $20 USD. Be sure to mention the Seekers of Your Heart CD. The following is our Prophetic Intelligence Briefing, a feature that brings you current events in the light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis and the coming of the Lord. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, Pope, first I must go to Moscow. I must meet Putin. Pope Francis said he is not going to Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, at present because he must first go to Moscow and meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. However, he is still waiting for Putin's office to respond with some open days for a meeting, said the Pope, as reported by Vatican News. In a recent interview with Italian newspaper Corriere della Sera and translated by Vatican News, Pope Francis said, quote, I am not going to Kiev for now. I feel that I must not go. First, I must go to Moscow. First, I must meet Putin. But I am also a priest. What can I do? I do what I can, if Putin would only open the door. I asked Cardinal Parolin after 20 days of war to send a message to Putin to say that I was willing to go to Moscow, said the Pope. However, we have not yet received an answer, and we are still insisting, even if I fear that Putin cannot and does not want to have this meeting at this time, said the Pope. But how can this brutality not be stopped, he added. Twenty-five years ago, we experienced the same thing with Rwanda. Pope Francis has called for an end to the war in Ukraine since it began on February 24th. In addition to calling for prayers to end the war, Pope Francis has spoken by telephone with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. He has visited the Russian embassy to the Holy See and publicly expressed his desire to meet with Putin. As for the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Pope Francis has blamed NATO aggression to a degree. Quote, NATO's barking at Russia's door has led the Kremlin to react badly and unleash the conflict, said the Pope, as reported by Vatican News. The Pope also warned about further aggression by Russia. Quote, the Russians have a plan, he said, so one would also understand the celerity of the escalation of these days. Because now it's not just Donbas, it's Crimea, it's Odessa, it's taking away the Black Seaport from Ukraine, it's everything. I am pessimistic, but we must make every possible gesture to stop the war. The Pope sounds like he wants peace, but the Bible says otherwise. Quote, and through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Daniel 8.25
Next, Ukraine war is a perfect storm threatening food, energy, and debt crisis across the globe. UN report. Russia's invasion of Ukraine appears to have set off a perfect storm, sparking multiple crises across the globe in the areas of food, energy, and debt, with devastating impacts for developing countries. The United Nations warned in a report Wednesday, "Quote: The war in Ukraine, in all its dimensions, is producing alarming cascading effects to a world economy already battered by COVID-19 and climate change, with particularly dramatic impacts on developing countries." The report warns. Recent projections by the UNCTAD, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development. Estimate that the world economy will be a full percentage point of GDP growth lower than expected due to the war, which is severely disrupting already tight food, energy, and financial markets. The report describes this disruption as a perfect storm coming on the brink of a global debt crisis. Ukraine and Russia provide around 30% of the world's wheat and barley, around 20% of its maize, and more than half of its sunflower oil. Russia is the world's top natural gas exporter and the second largest oil exporter. Russia and its neighbor Belarus together export about 20% of the world's fertilizers. Partially due to the war, commodity prices are reaching record highs across the board. The report notes: Food prices are 34% higher than this time last year and have never been this high. Since the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization started recording them, similarly, crude oil prices have increased by around 60 percent, and gas and fertilizer prices have more than doubled. These disruptions will harm developing countries the most, and the report warns that higher food prices are correlated with civil unrest. In other words, the war in Ukraine may spark mass protests and even civil wars in other countries. As many as 1.7 billion people are highly exposed to the effects of the Ukraine war on the global food, energy, and finance systems. The report notes: of those 1.7 billion people, 553 million are already poor, and 215 million are already undernourished. Quote: The impact of the war is global and systemic. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said at a briefing on the report, CBNC reported, inflation is rising, purchasing power is eroding, gross prospects are shrinking, and development is being stalled, and in some cases gains are receding. Guterres added, many developing economies are drowning in debt, with bond deals already on the rise since last September, leading now to increased premiums. And exchange rate pressures. Quote, I saw that the powers of Earth are now being shaken, and that events come in order. War and rumors of war, sword, famine, and pestilence are first to shake the powers of Earth. Then the voice of God will shake the sun, moon, and stars, and this Earth also. I saw that the shaking of the powers in Europe is not, as some teach, the shaking of the powers of heaven. But it is the shaking of the angry nations. Early writings, page forty-one. Next, Pope Francis: Rigid people are sick. Pope Francis again returned to the theme of rigidity today, 
saying, Those who unbendingly follow the law of God are sick and in need of the Lord's help. In his morning homily at Casa Santa Marta, the Pope drew on today's Gospel reading from Matthew in which Jesus, healing of a crippled woman, angered the Pharisees, leading him to denounce the leaders of the synagogue as hypocrites. This is an accusation Jesus often makes to those who follow the law with rigidity. The Pope said, quote, The law was not drawn up to enslave us, but to set us free, to make us God's children, he said. From Vatican Radio Concealed by rigidity, Pope Francis said, There is always something else. That's why Jesus uses the word hypocrites. Behind an attitude of rigidity, there is always something else in the life of a person. Rigidity is not a gift of God. Meekness is. Goodness is. Benevolence is. Forgiveness is. But rigidity isn't, he said. In many cases, the Pope continued, rigidity conceals the leading of a double life. But he pointed out there can also be something sick behind it, commenting on the difficulties and suffering that afflict a person who is sincere about realizing their rigidity, the Pope said this is because they lack the freedom of God's children. They do not know how to walk in the path indicated by God's law. Quote, they appear good because they follow the law, but behind there is something that does not make them good. Either they're bad hypocrites or they are sick. They suffer, he said. Pope Francis went on to recall the parable of the prodigal son, saying that the elder son showed a certain type of goodness, but behind it was the pride of believing in one's righteousness. He was rigid and conducted his life following the law, but saw his father only as a master, the Pope said. Quote, it is not easy to walk within the law of the Lord without falling into rigidity, he added, and concluded with a prayer calling on our brothers and sisters who think that by becoming rigid they are following the path of the Lord. May the Lord make them feel that He is our Father and that He loves mercy, tenderness, goodness, meekness, humility. And may He teach us all to walk in the path of the Lord with these attitudes, he said. The Pope's Favorite Theme The theme of rigidity, like his many criticisms of doctors of the law, is one of a number of topics the Pope returns to almost on a routine basis. He once called those who try to unbendingly follow the law of God people as having weak hearts, whom he confessed he would like to trip up with banana skins so they would know they are sinners. In June, he said, rigid people in the church who tell us it's this or nothing, are heretics and not Catholics. He has also warned about seminary formation being too rigid to allow for the development of priests. To understand the Pope's almost obsessive focus on rigidity and why he holds it in such disdain, it's perhaps helpful to see how he views his ministry, the church, and the world. According to one of his closest advisors, Jesuit Father Antonio Sparado, for Francis, both the church and the world are in constant flux, and so his pontificate is one of discernment of incomplete thought, for which the rigidity of rules is an obstacle. The Holy Father, he added, doesn't want to teach a definitive or complete word on every question which affects the church and the world. For him, Father Sparado said, neither the Pope nor the church have a monopoly on the interpretation of social realities or the proposal of solutions to contemporary problems. 
The Pope also sees the Church as a people of pilgrims who transcend any institutional expression, however necessary. This tension, he added, animates Francis. Reflection with regard to that which he has called the conversion of the papacy. In his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, Francis further explains and perhaps more clearly where his aversion to rigidity comes from. He criticizes what he calls a self-absorbed Promethean neopelagianism among those who ultimately trust only in their own powers and feel superior to others because they observe certain rules or remain intransigently faithful to a particular Catholic style from the past. Quote, a supposed soundness of doctrine or discipline leads instead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, he believes, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and classifies others, and instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying. He further believes that in neither case is one really concerned about Jesus Christ or others, and argues it is impossible to think that a genuine evangelizing thrust could emerge from these adulterated forms of Christianity. Elsewhere in the document, he says it is his hope, quote, that we will be moved by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which give us a false sense of security, within rules which make us harsh judges, within habits which make us feel safe, while at our door people are starving and Jesus does not tire of saying to us, give them something to eat. Mark 6.37 What does the Pope mean when he says, those who unbendingly follow the law of God are sick and in need of the Lord's help? Is he downplaying the law of God? Quote, When we reach the standard that the Lord would have us reach, worldlings will regard Seventh-day Adventists as odd, singular, straight-laced extremists. We are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. Review and Herald, January 9, 1894 Next, Hawaii officials consider new uses for virus screening tech. Officials in Hawaii are looking for new ways to use the state's Safe Travels program that was implemented to screen visitors during the pandemic. Hawaii's 37 million travel policy, which ended last month, required travelers to upload a negative COVID-19 test or proof of vaccination to avoid quarantine. The program had web and mobile applications developed and the state installed thermal and facial recognition cameras in airports to help find potentially sick passengers. Quote, Getting rid of facial recognition cameras and thermal screening is a ridiculous idea, said State Senator Glenn Wakai. We are moving toward the day when you and I don't need a phone or a card, we just use our face to get access and pay for things. The Hawaii Tourism Authority said the mobile application could be used to help visitors get educational and emergency information, fill out agricultural forms, or make reservations to visit natural and cultural sites, the Honolulu Star Advertiser reported Monday. Governor David Ige said he is promoting the entire program to the federal officials. Quote, They should establish some process for health emergencies, Ige said. We don't want to end up having to see the same kind of shutdown of the visitor industry when an infectious disease starts to circulate in the community. 
While this isn't the mark of the beast, will technology like this be used to enforce it? Quote, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation 13, 16, and 17. Next, the sad collapse and corruption of Disney's woke world. Sitting behind his wooden desk inside his Burbank-based Suite 3H office back in 1961, Walt Elias Disney, the founder and chairman of the burgeoning company bearing his name, was asked if he could share the formula for the empire's wild success. Quote, I don't really know, he said. I guess I'm an optimist. I am not in the business to make unhappy pictures. I love comedy too much. I've always loved comedy. Another thing, maybe it's because I can still be amazed at the wonders of the world. Within five years, Walt Disney would be dead, never living to see the opening of the company's second park and resort in Orlando. At the time of his death in December of 1966, Walt's shoestring enterprise, born after a series of failures, was valued at $100 million. As of last year, the company's revenues exceeds $67 billion. But all that glitters is not gold. And the true health of a company is not only calculated in dollars, but how it helps or hurts the people it serves. On that score, few companies have fallen as far as the once wonderful world of Disney, which is anything but wonderful today. Footage of a leaked company-wide Zoom call confirms Disney's desire to embrace an agenda that deliberately and blatantly rejects a Christian worldview of the family as well as God's view of human sexuality. The meeting was held in response to the Florida legislature's passage and Governor Ron DeSantis' signing of HB 1557, a bill that prohibits state teachers from introducing or pushing LGBT topics on children in kindergarten through the third grade. Critics of the legislation, along with willing accomplices in the press, have erroneously and deceptively and deceitfully labeled it as the, quote, don't say gay bill. In reality, it's common sense legislation that recognizes parents reserve the absolute right to decide when and what their children are to be taught about such sensitive issues. But Carrie Burke, president of Disney's General Entertainment Content, feels strongly that if children aren't going to be propagandized in school, they should be brainwashed and confused via Disney Entertainment. Quote, I'm here as a mother of two queer children. Actually, Burke told employees, one transgender child and one pansexual child, and also as a leader. Burke went on to say she is committed to Disney producing content that features underrepresented individuals. Quote, We have many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories, and yet we don't have enough leads and narratives in which gay characters just get to be characters, she said. During another portion of the call, Disney's diversity and inclusion manager, Vivian Weir, bragged about discontinuing the use of the phrases ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls from announcements at their theme parks. Many of us have warm and cherished memories of watching Disney movies and cartoons or maybe even taking a big family vacation to a Disney theme park. 
Sadly, that Disney is now long gone. The Disney brand was once so beloved and ubiquitous in the world that the name Mickey Mouse was used as the password for entrance into Allied Supreme Headquarters in Europe on D-Day in 1944. Quote, Disneyland will never be completed as long as there is imagination left in the world, Walt Disney once said. Tragically, God's gift of imagination has been deeply corrupted in this case, bringing to mind the words and warning of the Apostle Paul to believers in Rome. Quote, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he wrote, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Romans 1.28 As parents, many of us appreciate entertainment for children that feature gentle and innocent themes. There will be enough time for our kids to be exposed to the harsh realities of a broken world. We don't need sinister or confused screenwriters corrupting the beautiful minds of our young ones. To be sure, Disney's slide has not been sudden, nor has it been all at once. For years, Christian parents have been faced with the dilemma of how or if to navigate the corrupt and collapsed culture of a one-time family-friendly brand. In the end, it might be a small world after all for all of us, but for believers especially, it's an increasingly wicked and depraved one. Quote, Men put God out of their knowledge and worshipped the creatures of their own imagination, and as the result, they became more and more debased. The psalmist describes the effect produced upon the worshiper by the adoration of idols. He says, quote, They that make them are like unto them, so everyone that trusteth in them. Psalms 115 verse 8 It is a law of the human mind that by beholding we become changed. Man will rise no higher than his conceptions of truth, purity, and holiness. If the mind is never exalted above the level of humanity, if it is not uplifted by faith to contemplate infinite wisdom and love, the man will be constantly sinking lower and lower. The worshippers of false gods clothed their deities with human attributes and passions, and thus their standard of character was degraded to the likeness of sinful humanity. They were defiled in consequence. Quote, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God had given men his commandments as a rule of life, but his law was transgressed, and every conceivable sin was the result. The wickedness of men was open and daring, justice was trampled in the dust, and the cries of the oppressed reached unto heaven. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 91. Quote, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Luke 17, 26. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.